0: Hello and welcome to episode 165 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Today is edition number 68 of Bubba and the Batflip. Bubba and I are going to return to our early season previews and tackle the last remaining position, um, our favorite position to cover. Um, We're not talking about catcher, we're talking about relief pitcher. So Bubba and I do a deep dive on really each team situation, each closer situation, uh, guys we like, guys we don't um, like as much, and maybe some um, speculative guys or things guys we think can contribute to fantasy lineups throughout the year. So hope you enjoy it. Uh, As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please do leave a rating and review on iTunes. Always appreciate that. You can reach me on Twitter at BatFootCrazy. You can reach bub on Twitter at BDNTrek. Let's get this party started. And
1: welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with, of Bubba and the Batflip. It only took me 68 episodes to figure that one out. But Bubba and the Batflip episode 68, our early relief pitcher preview. We waited a few weeks to do it. There's a little more clarity, still a lot of uncertainty. We'll kind of try to navigate through for everybody with the listener questions and some just deeper dives into um, the rosters of some of these question mark teams. You can check me out on Twitter at BDentric, and my co-host is always the Batflip portion of the podcast on Twitter at Batflip Crazy. Toby, how are we doing, man?
0: Um, I'm doing pretty well, Bubba. Is this is this going to be a relief pitcher show, or are we talking about um, why the Blue Jays should trade Vlad Jr.? <laughs> I
1: can't. And we just lost everybody.
0: That's <laughs> Everybody's gone. Everybody's gone. They all just left. Oh, man. No, I'm actually excited for the relief pitchers thing. I think... Um, i think there's just a it's, it's a lot of opportunity for you know it's a lot of um volatility if you will but i think there's opportunities within that so i'm very excited yeah, um, sure. unlike vlad who is who is uh, vlad jr who's not volatile at all the same 50 percent plus ground ball rate every single year and lack of super high exit velocity on his line drives and fly balls which you can tell by his totally normal home run per fly ball rate but We'll talk. uh, We'll talk. Relief pitchers, for sure. I'm just kidding, of course. I just tweeted about it. I like to. I'm like a silent troll of Vlad Jr. Although I have nothing wrong with him as a human, I just think he's overrated.
1: Yeah, no, that's uh, that's Toby's little fun spot on the Twitter. Just remember, Toby's comments have nothing to do to reflect upon
0: me. No (laughs) skin. It's like in your Twitter bio, when you're like, when you're like, retweets are not endorsements. You're like, the fact (laughs) I'm on the podcast with this guy has. I do not condone anything he says.
1: Don't exactly. listen to anything
0: he says, especially yeah. Blue Jays fans. I'm a Blue Jays fan. Yeah, he's wearing the
1: Blue Jays hat. To make everybody this. just throw off the off the the, st- the scent. So I, I'm a I'm a
0: I'm a Marcus Semien
1: fan. You could. These so. guys just keep doing it. I go trade for uh, some pitching. So it's yeah. uh, it's it's going to be fun in Toronto and in Dunedin possibly this year. So <laughs> we'll yeah, see how that yeah. goes. But uh, yeah, they're at least making moves. Your boy JT Real Muto reads a re, re- re-signed with the Phils. So the Hawks. Yeah. Don't- The hot stove's cooking today. It's been a fun fun hot stove day. I I tweeted about it. I said, you know what? Maybe there's a sense of urgency with pitchers and catchers reporting in a few weeks that we might actually start spring training on time. Let's fill out some rosters, maybe. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, Yeah, I don't
0: know if I'm the only person, but every time I say I see Dunedin, I think about Crocodile Dundee. I don't know (laughs) if I'm the only person who does that, but...
1: I'll be honest. I do not, but uh, I get it. Okay, I get it. Did you watch
0: Crocodile Dundee back in the day?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. Right. I love Crocodile. Right. I watched, I watched Crocodile only two. Well, they only had two, I think. Maybe three. I don't know. But I know I watched one and two. One's the much better than two, like usual. But yeah, uh, yeah. Def, definitely watch that. How cool. good was it? Was it Paul Hogan? Is
0: in that America? his name?
1: I think that was his his real life name. Yes. So I just know him as Crocodile Dundee. That's yes, he was amazing. Absolutely good stuff. Basically, the caveman of the alligator world. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's talk relief pictures. like usual in our, our previews. Top 10 FBC ADP, we're doing draft champions from March, or from January 1st. So we got the top 10 there. We'll talk about a couple targets from the 11 through 20 range. And then instead of just going deep flyers, we're going to go over the rest of the rosters of teams that have so many questions in play because there's a bunch of them and your listener questions circled around some of them. So we'll get to those and we'll get to your listener questions and hopefully get at least an idea of relief pitching. And as Toby said, there's a lot of volatility, but it's kind of a risk reward also if you want to take the chances in drafts right now. Cause I know Toby's doing drafts, I'm doing drafts. And you can, like, you get to a point in the draft and you see certain names, you're like, should I take the chance now? Like, it, cause it could pan out. Like, people that took chances on Kirby Yates or Brad Hand, like him or not, where you got him a couple weeks ago, you're not gonna ever get him again. So it just it just makes things different. But let's kick it off the top relief pitcher going off the board. Josh Hader around pick fifty-seven right now. The only thing that's really questionable for me about Josh Hader is he might get traded, but that's a big maybe. So, what's your thoughts on Hader, Toby?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think obviously he's um, he's very good. I don't think there's any question about that. You know, from a skills perspective, we did we did see some drop last year, and you know, a drop to a sixteen sw- percent uh, swinging strike rate, which was the lowest in his uh, in his career. So I think Hater's fine. I mean, he, um, yeah, I mean, he's good if he is assuming he gets the saves, I agree. Like the concern is that them trading him. Um, I mean, now would be an opportune time to do that. His fourth season, he's still still got a little bit more run before he becomes a free agent. Um, but they put a lot of miles on that arm and based on what he did last year, maybe a little bit of, uh, of concern there. So that's my biggest thing, but where he goes, he'll probably be the closer. So, um, you know, again, with all these guys, I'm not going to be super excited because my general strategy with closers is not to go after the top ones. But it doesn't mean that they're that they're good, that they aren't good pitchers.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm not completely against going after one or two up top, but haters one I usually don't go after. Put it that way, because this is a, basically a fourth round pick, pick 57. Um, we know we, we talk starting pitching early. Um, you, you like your JTR, or some speed. I like some speed and power. It's it, it's usually not a spot where I reserve myself to go for a closer. But uh, there's been drafts where it looks a little more appealing right now with such uh, question marks in play. But Hater's just not a guy I'm, I'm going with. There were a few slip ups towards the the end of last season, a small sample, but still, when he's on, he's one of the most elite pitchers in baseball. There's no arguing that he's going to be the closer ever he goes. Pretty much, like you said. So if you're if you're a take closer early guy, I got no problem with it. He's also one of those guys that you know he can give you he usually, not always, gives you more than one inning save, so he can rack up more strikeouts and do that kind of good stuff. So like he like in 2019, 61 games, 75 innings. 2018, 55 games, 81 innings. 2017, 35 games, 47 innings. So he's giving you he's going deep. But like last year only 21 games, 19 innings. Maybe something changed. I don't know, but uh, something to keep an eye on when he, if he's. Not giving you those multi-inning upside things, the Brewers, how good are they really going to be? There's just question marks uh, taken that early in the draft that really not something I'm I'm running to do right now. But the next one I am slightly intrigued by, and that's Liam Hendricks, the second one off the board, going around pick 62, so only five picks after, hater. But, you know, sign with the White Sox, elite stuff, questions about, you know, back-to-back years of big inning workloads. That's We talked about that before. What's your thoughts on Hendricks? Good team, but is, you know, early draft picked as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm with a lot of people. I think if I were to grab an early closer, I would focus on Hendricks. I think the situation he's found himself is pretty optimal. Obviously, he's leaving the friendly confines of Oakland Coliseum, which you know I think is probably the best uh, hit best pitcher's park um, in all of baseball. So that's certainly a little bit of a you know a bump to him, but you know, two consecutive years with an ERA under 1.8, he doesn't walk guys, you know, that that may be a big difference between him and Hader. I mean, Hader, again, small, short season, but 13% walk rate with the home runs he gives up is a little bit of a concern where you look at Hendricks, you know, his walk rate was 3.3% last year, 6.3%, you know, in 2019, just um, absolutely elite stuff. So I think if you do pony up early on for a closer, I think Hendricks, Seems like the safest guy to me, which of course is famous last words for a closer. <laughs> but I really, um, I think of all everybody, Hendricks is my favorite.
1: Yeah, no, he's definitely my favorite as well. He's there's really no question that there's anyone's going to take the job from him. Like in in Milwaukee, you could see at times council using you know Hater in a high leverage spot, and then here comes you know Devin Williams to get the save. Like that wouldn't shock people if Devin Williams had ten plus saves. But in, in Chicago, Hendricks is pitching the night. Like Larusa, as much as we want to make fun of Larusa, he's old school. And Hendricks has one job, and that's to shut down games. So um, that that's not going to be a question. The only concern I have, if I have to play devil's advocate, and I really have no concerns with Hendricks, the strikeouts does great and everything. Is he's a more so of a, a fly ball pitcher than a ground ball pitcher? You know, thirty two percent, thirty one percent the last couple of years. He was a forty percent or so guy before that. Changing those ballparks could uh, aid to a few more fly balls. Keep that in mind, but still, as a whole, there's not too much to uh, just kind of you know grasping at straws with Hendricks. He he definitely be my top guy off the board as well. All right, the third one out of New York, a rollish Chapman, pick seventy four is coming out around later than Liam Hendricks. Chapman's been one of the most consistent closers in baseball over the last four or five years, and it really doesn't seem seems like there's much that's going to slow him down besides himself so what's your thoughts on chapman
0: yeah i mean the only issues for chapman are really age and um you know some some injury injury uh related stuff i mean i guess it's not really injury related but when you're older and you know the last couple years the volume hasn't necessarily uh been there but absolutely dominant when he played in in 2020 Really good in 2019, and I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, he was also much better in the second half of 2019. So he's got, you know, he's got everything you want. He's got a good situation. He's got a history of being successful in in every single year that he's pitched. I mean, the highest ERA he's ever had is three two two back in 2017. Highest WHIP, you know, one one three, you know, back in 2017. If, unless we go back to 2011 with the Reds, so. You know, uh, there's a lot to like. And, again, you know, it's just one of those situations where kind of rolling the dice with some relief, relief pitchers. And there's going to be a year where that isn't his year. But I don't necessarily see anything that points to this being the end of the road for for Chapman at all.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's one of those, if you are a closer early guy and you don't get Hendricks, I have no problem with Chapman. Uh, he's going to be 33 years old. But the Yankees have done a good job of kind of – monitoring his innings you know since 2016 he hasn't thrown more than 58 innings like they're really slow playing him for the most part he's had 30 or more saves in every season since 2012 except one that was 2017 the years you mentioned with his worst era and his worst whip and his lowest strikeouts like that was just a bad season and he still wasn't bad it just wasn't a chapman type season other than that he's been one of the best if not the best closer consistency wise in all of baseball. He's going to be playing on the Yankees, which is going to be one of the best teams in baseball yet again. It's going tons of runs, tons of save chances. You know, Britton and some other guys might sneak in a save chance here or there to give Chapman some rest like we've seen. But all in all, this dude is going to be as lights out as they come. I don't see anything slowing him down until, God forbid, some injury takes place, which it's just the way they take care of him and the way he does things, I don't see it happening. That's the weird part. So. Chapman at, uh, at pick seventy four. If you don't get Hendricks, but you still want a guy early, I have zero. Uh, he'd be he'd be a priority if you're if you're a closer early guy. I'd be trying to get either or of Hendricks or Chapman in that early go, and that'd be a top priority for me. Uh, three picks after Chapman, there's some Edwin Diaz love back in the draft pool. You know, two years removed from a, a slow go of it uh, last year, looked looked better. Now it looks like people are back on board at picks uh, seventy seven. What about you, Toby?
0: yeah I mean you know the skills are off the charts twenty one point two percent swinging strike rate for him struck out fifty in 25 innings last year you know, the era was great you know every everything was great about it right I think 2019 was pretty clearly a fluke just from a home run to fly ball and home run per nine perspective so I think there's nothing not to there's nothing not to like uh, I just think you know, again among closers he's very very good i think there's some question marks that i've seen with people about whether he gets saves or not which seems to be more in like kind of team philosophy and approach than it does you know about necessarily question marks around him because you know uh, they treated him weird last year you know it's like they you know they kind of removed him from the closer role for a little bit but you just look at what he was able to accomplish there's very few Relief pitchers who can do what he did. The quality of contact has to be a concern. You know, um, two consecutive years of Babips higher than 377, but the home run the home run rate was under control again. So I think he's totally he's totally fine. Um, you know, again, I think with all these picks, it's just a question of it's just a question of you know, kind of is is this what you want to be spending your draft capital on? Uh, at this point in drafts. So that's why if, if I'm lacking in kind of emotion and um, energy around these guys, it's because I'll get energetic around the guys going after like ADP of 200. But these guys, it's like, ah, oh, I'm signing a guy saves, you know. A- AKA Toby takes
1: closers later. That That's the moral <laughs> of the story here. But uh, Edmund Diaz, like Toby mentioned, the, the stuff we, – we talked about it in last year's preview that – even though he had a down 2019, if you look at the peripheral stats, he was still very good. He just "quote unquote" got unlucky, made a few mistakes. Yeah, I, will, I think we broke it down. It was like three appearances out of his like twenty, uh, his 66 games ruined his entire season. It was it was crazy in 2019, 2020. That did not happen. So uh, it was good to see him bounce back. He might have been even better than he was in 2018. If you really want to break it down. And I don't see that changing much. Yeah, they signed uh, Trevor May, and that kind of scares a few people. They had Dylan Patances. There, there's guys in the back end. but I think he's got to slip up pretty good to lose that job. It's Edwin Diaz's job. And uh, it's going to be a good job because the Mets are getting much better. So it's going to be a good spot to get saves. So, again, if you want to go early, sure, but I'd rather have Chapman or Hendricks over Diaz. But last year I liked Diaz a lot more because he was going much later, but uh, not so much this year. No yeah,
0: one and one thing I think that's important about what you pointed out and, and kind of leads to my skepticism about relief pitchers generally is, you know, with Diaz, it's like every year, you know, your closers are going to have those situations where either luck isn't on their side or they're having a rough inning and they load the bases, you know, those 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 edge of your seat situations where the base is loaded, two outs, and you, and you need your guy to get that save. When you know they they the other team hits a homer, and that happened to Diaz in a few games where I think he gave up you know home runs with with runners on base, and for a relief pitcher that can skew your ERA for an entire season, season, even in a 162 game season, and so that I think you know when it comes to the variance that any pitcher is susceptible to, and the lack of an ability to really you know. have a long enough sample size to regress that back to the mean is just one of those situations that every, every pitcher, you know, bar a couple of the ones we talked about, you know, like Chapman maybe um, are going to encounter throughout their career. And you just hope that it's not, not your season where that happens.
1: Yeah. And we will definitely elaborate on that. Some more on a listener question um, from Torres about, uh, you know, having extra relief pitchers, certain weeks of whatnot, there's a strategy involved in that, but uh, you look at Diaz, like you said, you know, in 2019, a 26.8 percent home run to fly ball. Last year, 13.3. Year before that, 10.6, 14.3. So it was a massive jump, like a 2.33 home runs per nine. Never better than 1.36, Usually, usually one or less. So he got uh, lit up in 2019, and that was shown in the stats we looked at. When he when he missed, he missed in the in the, the sweet spot. So it was it was not good. But um, and he, and he just takes one or two of those outings, and boom goes the dynamite. So. We'll see how that goes, but still very, very good stuff with Edwin Diaz. The next guy, fifth guy off the board, Rossell Iglesias, new member of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, pick 84. This one stings because I love Rossell, especially with the Reds where he go multiple innings. Not sure exactly how Joe Madden's going to handle that, but we usually didn't see that from Joe Madden in the past, and he's also going a lot higher than he usually does. So what's your thoughts on Iglesias?
0: Yeah, Iglesias is nice. I mean, I think, you know, again, it's one of these, like, I feel like the way we talk about these guys year in year out highlights a little bit of the volatility. I think it was last year; a lot of people had concerns about, you know, Iglesias and felt like maybe he was falling a little bit. Well, all of a sudden in in 2020, you know, he bumps up his velocity to the highest it's ever been at 96.2. He improves across the board. I mean, he's got a pretty deep uh, repertoire for a relief pitcher. But I mean the, the swing strike rate eighteen point six percent, highest of his career. K minus rock rate twenty eight point six percent, highest of his career. O swing thirty six point eight percent, highest of his career. Z contact seventy two point six percent, best of his career. And then he puts up these just absolutely phenomenal numbers. And I think one of the things that I love about uh, like about Iglesias a lot. I think it's pretty clear, obviously, that he's the closer in Anaheim. You know, maybe I'll end up looking foolish and that that's wrong, but here's a guy who, I mean, you know, I guess he only threw his pitches, you know, he threw the sinker a little bit, but he's got, um, you know, forcing fastball generated an 11% swinging strike rate, which is solid, not spectacular for a reliever, but then he's got his slider at 24.2% change up at 27% with a 60% O swing, you know, so he's got pitches to attack both, both hitters it has got that repertoire, you know, the angels are a decent situation. So I, I like him a lot. I mean, when we're talking about like relative value for closers, where's he going at ADP wise? He's going um, to 84. Worked, and it's still yeah. so early. It's still so, so early. Um, so I would never draft him, I don't think. But um, I do like Iglesias a lot. I think. I think he's got a lot going for him.
1: Well, one of the reasons I always liked Iglesias was, A, the price tag. Like you mentioned, this time around, it's a little sooner, so it's a little trickier. But one thing I, I said earlier in Cincinnati, he'd go multiple innings. You know, you prefer him to close, and he close most games, but he also come in high leverage. He'd always have, like, the chance to get more wins than usual. Like, he was 4-3 and three last year on a shortened season with eight saves. Like, that's awesome from a closer. Um, the year before, 3-12 with 34 saves. So he's in high leverage spots a lot, and um, – It's just one of those deals last year, that that 2019 season, the highest ERA he had since 2015, usually a low low ERA guy, decent ratios, good strikeouts, um, keeps the ball in the ballpark, which is impressive for pitching a lot of games in great American small park. It's just one of those deals with Rossielli. I think he's a very, very underappreciated pitcher, and he got the bump this year I think more so because he was one of the locked-in guys early on in draft season. There wasn't as many question marks. He was either going to close for Cincinnati or he's closing for Anaheim now. It was never really in question. Where There's been other guys we've seen ADPs fluctuate quite a bit based on recent acquisitions. So um, I love Rossi Iglesias. It's one of those for me, if you want to get pitching early and just knock it out and be done with it, Hendricks or Chapman and Rossi to get two of those three, and I'd be a happy camper. At the same time, like Toby will tell you right out the gate, you're probably letting a lot of stuff go that you really want on your team. So it's, it's really... It's really tricky to do that. Like, it's not its not impossible, not impossible at all, but it's very, very tricky. All right, the next one is one I have not drafted at all, and he's the sixth relief pitcher off the board to pick 96, and that is James Karinchak of the uh, Cleveland baseball team. So what's your thoughts on Mr. Karinchak, Toby?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't understand this one no, um, for no a couple of reasons. You know, first is I don't understand why Cleveland would put him in the closer role. You know, I just think like the incentives financially to keep him out of that spot, especially for a team like Cleveland that has, I mean, their payroll is like $28 million. I think this year is what I saw today, like just ridiculous. So they're going to try to save save costs at any turn. And so I would not be surprised to see them go with other alternatives to um, Karinczak. And then the other thing for me is just, you know, obviously the strikeouts are, Absurd, And the stuff is absurd. But, you know, that walk rate, 14.7%, you know, over five walks per nine. His home run per nine last year was 0.33, thanks to a 5.6% home run per fly ball rate, which does not seem um, sustainable. And on top of that, I mean, his ground ball rate last year was 23.1%. So he's giving up a ton of fly ball. Um, maybe. And, and I mean, I, I should, I should, I should actually look and see what
1: we and got a heck of a heck of a BABIP too to go with it.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's what makes me wonder. So it's like, yeah, I mean, he only gave up one barrel. So small sample size. So maybe you guys are having trouble, you know, lining it up against him, which wouldn't necessarily be surprising, but anytime you walk that number of guys, I just, it's a little bit, it's a little bit too dangerous for me. So I just think the combination of financial incentives for the team being for him not to get saves. And then the profile, I just think is going to be super volatile. Um, I I don't know why to invest a top 100 pick in this guy. You know, um, if you, if you want to snag a closer, who's, who's really good. I mean, I'd, I'd much rather have like a Diaz or, Um, Iglesias or somebody like that. So if you're actually going to spend up, you know, that's what I would be kind of focusing on. But, I mean, to each their own, he could be an absolutely lights-out closer, you know. Um, But I just don't think the risk is is worth the reward.
1: Well, and it goes back to what you said about Diaz when we talked about it just takes, you know, one bad inning or two or a couple home runs here and there. If you're walking the amount of guys he's walking, you're asking for a, a trouble. Like, like, you throw a couple of guys on for free. Like, maybe they don't hit you hard, but you let them on for free, and then you groove one, and not, now you're just like, oh, no. Like, this just gets real bad real quick. So, that that's always concerning. I'm with you on the fact this is a very cheap baseball team that, you know, there there's already discussion that Andres Jimenez is going to start in the minors to save money. So, it makes sense, like you said, is you don't let Crenshaw close right away so when arbitration comes around, he's worth less money. It's like the Yankees did with Dylan Batantis all those years. Like, it's it's, it's not – it wouldn't surprise anybody if that happened. And there's other pitchers in this bullpen that we'll talk about later on that I I know I've targeted. I think you've even targeted some of them in drafts that it just it, – it makes too much sense to uh, – it makes too much sense for the Indians to screw this up, basically. And it makes it very tough. Like, I'm going through his, his pitch leaderboard page, and it's like he, his numbers, they check out, but it's mainly like that just quality of contact. His dynamic – okay, okay, whoa. Let's back this train up. Dynamic hard hit rate twenty point five percent. That is not good, not good at all. So, uh, you know, hard hit rate thirty six percent, okay, but dynamic twenty point five, that's not ideal. So that that's something to to that stood out as a, a deciding factor. And that barrel rate of two point five percent, he had a deserved barrel rate at nine percent. So hmm. um, there's there's definitely some, you know, he still looked really good. Like you look at some of these numbers, still still pretty darn good stuff. Deserved ERA of two point oh two, barrel flip of one three two, like. Stuff looks good, but there's definitely question marks. That, like you said, if you're going to go early for a closer, get the get Diaz, do something like that uh, instead of a guy like like Karinchek. So uh, that's about it. There' nothing. I wouldn't be shocked if this time next year we talk about him being something pretty good. All right, the sixth or seventh, seventh uh, closer off the board here at pick 108 for the Houston Astros, Ryan Presley. He actually was pretty darn good last year. In the uh, once he took over, he did all the injuries. And he looks to be locked in as the closer going into 2021 on an Astros team that, you know, Michael Brantley's back. They're still going to make some noise here and there. So what's your thoughts on uh, Presley at pick 108?
0: Yeah, I think Presley's really solid. Um, you know, nothing spectacular. His whip was high last year, but he also ran a really, uh, really high Babbitt against. So I um you know, I, I I'm forgiving him for the home run he gave up to Ronald Guzman, uh, Guzman in the in the last uh, game of the season that cost me a little bit, but um, yeah, I, I think Presley, um, or I think second to last game of the season, I think I needed a win in that in that game, uh, not that my memory goes goes back that far or thinks about those things, um, but yeah, I mean, I think he's all around super solid. Um, I can't really quibble with with anything in the profile. I love the fact that he generates a really high uh, chase rate, forty percent. I think the last couple years, I think it's his curve that's that's uh, really dominant pitch has been. I remember when the Astros got him from the Twins, everybody was kind of um, saying how great a move that was because he he had the pieces to be elite. I think he is elite, and I and I agree. I think Houston's a great situation because it's a really good team. You're playing out west where the ballparks are a little bit nicer. And um, and you know, uh, Minute Maid is this still called Minute Maid? I think so. Yes. Yes. Okay. it is. Yeah. So Minute Maid, um, I think, is a great. It's a great pitcher's park. So uh, I think everything is everything's good for for Presley.
1: Yeah, and the other, other thing for Presley is there's no one to really take the job from him. Uh, there's Enoli Paredes, There's Pedro Baez. There's Blake Taylor. Josh James. Like none of those scream ryan presley's losing his job like it's pretty much his deal which once we keep talking about guys as we get farther down the list here there's a lot of question marks involved so i think that's very important astros will still be very good in that division uh dominating strikeout stuff like you mentioned uh limits the contact 3.7 percent barrel rate last year um there's definitely a lot to like there with ryan presley so as long as he limits the walks that's when he when he got in trouble it was when he was walking guys three walks per nine not ideal, but. That's like the worst he's had in a long time in his career. So maybe that was just a hopefully a one time thing and uh, he bounces back from that next season. All right. The eighth closer out the board at pick 115. And this one, it's getting tough for Toby. I was all about uh, drafting me some uh, Kenley Jansen last year. Then we saw how the uh, the Dodgers, they turned Kenley Jansen, they treated Kenley Jansen like he was a starter. Like, let's uh, pitch him every few days and see how it goes. So, um, what's your take on Jansen here at pick 115?
0: Yeah, you know, I think it's it's really interesting. I'm doing a little bit of a dive here on his on just his rolling average graph to see what was going on. Um, you know, towards the end of the season, a little bit, some of his numbers regressed because over the course of the full season, he was he was very good. I mean, there's really nothing I can put pinpoint in the profile that that's concerning at all. You know, ERA three thirty three, WHIP 115, 33 strikeouts in twenty four innings. 32.4% strikeout rate, best in three years, 23.5% K minus walk rate, 15% swinging strike, really solid O-swing at 37.8%. So essentially like everything that you're seeing in the profile is good. He's had really good stat, stat cast metrics for a couple years in a row now, low barrel rate, uh, very low um, average exit velocity, very low hard hit rate. So everything in the profile points to just, you know, Kenley being Kenley, but then we have the playoffs and what happened there and, and, and his kind of inability to navigate that. But with the Dodgers, I mean, I think they still go back to them. They haven't signed a replacement really, you know, um, I don't think Blake Tri- Trinan is that, is that guy as, as much as it might disappoint, um, uh, Brian Slack in particular, um, cause I know he's a big fan. Um, but yeah, I think uh I think the Dodgers will stick with him, I think, this year. You know, there's no there's no reason not to essentially, like during the during a regular season where I think the Dodgers will be really good and they're going to be successful, I just don't necessarily see them being forced to move away from him unless he really struggles. And he's not going to st- he's not going to face the same type of competition as he did in the playoffs in the regular season. So, um yeah that's kind of how i feel about it
1: yeah i'm with you there it's one of those i think they like i mentioned with chapman they might kind of baby his innings a little bit because they do have Trina, and they have Canable, they have Brewster grader all they have guys that can you know put an inning in, like bias like last year got a handful of saves for the dodgers so you wouldn't be shocked because when a team wins 100 games he can't save them all so that's just the way it's going to go but he can still save you 30 plus at this point and uh, looking at his, his X stats on on the pitch leader board, and he's actually, you know, didn't get – he was unlucky if you look at a lot of the stats here. Uh, barrels should have been less. Uh, ERA should have been less. A lot of the contacts, they still had a 31% CSW, which is really good for a guy that people were concerned that he wasn't really dominating people. Um, I guess the biggest question mark you mentioned looking at his rolling graphs. He had a 25% ground ball rate last year, usually in the 30s, low 30s to mid 30s for the most part. So that's, a, that's slightly concerning. But even with that, he had one of his better home run for, for fly balls of, the, of his career. So that's uh, pretty interesting. Like you said, strikeout, rate was still good. Really not a ton to, to peak yet. Just uh, the walks were up, less ground balls. Just kind of got a little unlucky. But uh, overall, was still pretty darn good. So it's interesting to see what they do with him. There's always the health concerns. People are worried about his arm towards the end of last year. So something to think about. Um, but I, I'd imagine they'll kind of baby him like they did last year. But that could still run into 25 to 30 saves so that's that's pretty darn good all things considered
0: yeah and and i i don't think they really have like somebody i'm probably missing who it would be but to come in like Gratterall, like he had a 14 percent strikeout rate last year you know like he's not the answer i mean trinan similarly had a very low strikeout rate you know they've got like some of those lefties um they've got ferguson they got mcgee I don't know if he's a free agent or not, but he was really good last year. But those are more situational type guys for them. So they have a deep bullpen, but I don't know if it's full of like closer types, you know. Um, yeah. So I actually, after this conversation, I feel a little a little better about it. Maybe Kenley's a. I mean, I can't say he's a value at one fifteen, but I think I think maybe if he drops a little bit in drafts, he could be a good one to to snag.
1: He'll be he'll be one to monitor for sure because you know I just. The Dodgers always find a way to make things interesting. That's all I know. So, but uh, I'm with you. He's, he's the best option. There's no, there's no doubting that. For sure. Um, Minnesota Twins. Taylor Rogers, pick one twenty nine. He had a, a, a rocky season last year. Uh, Strikes were still decent. Uh, ground balls were okay, but you know, he still get a decent amount of fly balls and home runs. The ERA was uh, a little high. He lost his job for a while, but uh, they got him penciled in to be a closer going into 2021. So, what's your thoughts on Rogers?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen over the last couple years that the Twins aren't really that committed to Rogers as the closer. I don't know. This is kind of a, this is one of those situations where you have a closer who I think has really good skills. I mean, I think Rogers is really good. You know, this the swinging strike rate doesn't necessarily blow you away, but I think he's got a good CSW. I think he's always been more a CSW guy than a Swinging strike rate guy, you know, 22% came on his walk rate. The Babbitt and the Strand rate were crazy, you know, unlucky. Um, you know, the Z contact, that, is, that does raise a little bit of concerns, not being able to get guys out inside the zone. But it's one of these scenarios where I think the, the Twins are going to work their bullpen like they have in the past, which maybe he gets the bulk of saves. But, you know, they're going to bring in a righty if, if that feels like it's the best situation. It's not going to be Romo, but they have Duffy who's really good back there they just signed Hansel Robles and I know like, obviously I'm bi- very biased um, on Hansel Robles, but he wasn't, once he regained his velocity, he was a better pitcher last year um, with, with, uh, with the angels and the twins do do good things with pitchers. You know, they know how to maximize a pitcher potential, I think. And so I, I could see those guys kind of nibbling at some of the saves for Rogers and, if he does struggle at all, I don't think they're they they're going to feel compelled to keep him in the role. So he's he's like a prime example of a guy who I think the, I don't know if the upside is really that high, and I think the downside is pretty low. And in those scenarios, I'm always going to try to target, you know, the 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 second half of those potential committees because you know if you miss out on them, eh, you know, not a huge deal. But if you hit on them, you know, it's a game changer for you.
1: Yeah, no, I'm with you. And one thing with Taylor Rogers, we know uh, with the Twins, they use him in high leverage situation. They use him for multi inning saves, like you said. Is there's going to be a lot of days where he doesn't even pitch because he's used like for two innings in like two or three days in a row, and that's where I, I love that Robles call when when he was signed. I'm like, huh, this could be good because we talked about it a lot last year. He was a lot better towards the end of last year, like you mentioned. So I wouldn't count that out at all. Like there's there's that's definitely in play when it comes to. Um, the twins. So as this is where we start to get to the murky spots. Like, you know, we talked about eight guys that seven of the eight, we'll take Krenczyk out of the little loop there that we, we feel relatively confident are going to be closers right now. Like they're going to be the closer for their team. Now we get into question marks and it gets it gets much more different. So Taylor's a guy I just haven't been finding myself drafting at all. It's been tough. Like, like I'm with you. The stuff's very, very good. It's just tough for me to pencil in the, uh, the trust factor, with the uh, twins to make it happen. And, and hopefully nothing went wrong, but man, you look at uh, his numbers and he got hit around quite a bit last year. So it's uh, definitely a telling situation. The 10th closer off the board. I pick 139 as a guy I will not draft anywhere at all. And he just got signed by the Washington nationals to potentially close for them. And that is Brad hand, Toby, any interest in a guy like Brad hand?
0: Um. You know, it's interesting. His velocity is way down. I think that's been pretty well documented, and the skills also took a no dot di- nosedive last year. Um, you know, all the skill. Well, I should say like all the skills except for number one, the ones that count, right? Yeah. And number two, like I mean, he maintained a twenty nine percent K minus walk rate despite three percent dip in his swinging strike rate. You know, the control metrics just totally fell off. Um, And I think that might be that might be a little bit of of a situation where, you know, over a a course of a longer season, like he had a four point seven percent walk rate last year, even though his first pitch strike rate was down. His O swing was way down. So, you know, I think you're looking at I I don't know what if you have it in front of you, but I'm sure his deserved walk rate, you know, from Alex Chamberlain's um, pitch leader boards is way, way higher than that. So, you know, there's just some skill concerns here. Obviously, I'll be interested to see where that ADP kind of ends up because it is a, a fairly nice situation with the Nationals. You know, it sounds like he actually gave up more money to go to the Nationals because he was going to be their closer. And so that gives you the confidence that he's at least, you know, going to start the season in that position and should have a little a pretty deep, you know, should it should have, um, you know, a little bit of a leash there. Um, so, you know, again, like the skills don't overwhelm me, but one of the things that I've, I've kind of done in the past and I, I targeted, you know, Alex Colomay for this reason. I, I targeted, uh, Mark Melanson for this reason last year as well. Is just trying to get guys who maybe people are off of them because the skills aren't as good, but they've never really been bad before. Like if you look at hand, You know, his ERA is the last five seasons, 292, 216, 275, 33, 205. His whips the last, you know, five seasons, Uh, 0.77, 124, 111, 0.93, 1.11. Like regardless of what his skills have, what they have been like, he was still, he's always been good. And so maybe he's a guy where, like, if you were to ask me value proposition, do you want Brad hand we're going where he's going right now versus one of these guys, you know, further up the draft board, I'd probably go with hand just because I think he's been successful. Yes. There are concerns with the skill and the velocity, but until teams show that they can really get to him, then, you know, I'd go with, go with the consistency and just hope and hope you yeah, have a couple things like Melanson
1: last year was much later in drafts I believe so that made more sense to me then but um it, it's just with hand that velocity is only going to fool people for so long for me could be totally wrong plus I really like Tanner Rainey and or Tanner Rainey with uh Washington I, I think that's a guy that should have been closing so kind of bummed when hand got there so I, I think he's kind of waiting for hand to screw up and then I, I got the leaderboard up here, like a 284 Will Bacon, 335 Will Bacon. Um, his deserved walks was 8.9% compared to the 4.7% he actually had. His barrel rate was up an extra 1.2 from the deserved barrel uh, situation. So he got a little lucky there as well. Uh, it, it, not that, you know, he's getting the job done. Everything he said isn't wrong. I'm just, it's, it's like if I'm going to take a chance on a guy that I'm, I'm waiting for that to happen, it'll be later in the draft. And that, that's just the way I look at it. Um yeah you look at some of these numbers a lot of fly balls he was getting to me pretty lucky with that like a 19.4 percent ground ball rate that that's going to be tough to uh to sustain the goods there so I'll be I'll be passing on Brad Hand and that's just maybe I'll miss out on that I had him last year and I was nervous as hell when I had him last year but um and he got the job done I think he's like he led the league in saves or was like second in league in saves so it worked out last year I think I'll be avoiding it this year, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. You'll probably be right. You usually are, but uh, we'll see how that goes. He lived on the called strikes. That's the one thing. 10.7% swinging strike, 21.2% called strike. We'll see uh, how much that continues on. All right. uh, Picks 11 through 20. We're going to give two targets each here. Um, It goes Nick Anderson, Rosenthal, um, Devin Williams, Colomay, Kimbrell, Rafael Montero, Matt Barnes, Richard Rodriguez, Kirby Yates, and Will Smith, who's technically not even the closer for Atlanta, but he's getting drafted way ahead of the closer for Atlanta. So um, who's one of the guys you're looking at in this range, Toby?
0: Yeah, uh, Kimbrell has been has been uh, a target of mine, a little bit at least. I mean, he's pushing up in drafts already. I think when draft day comes around, he'll probably be around the the 150 point, if not maybe a little ahead of that. He struggled out of the gate, I mean, horrendously. We all those of us who had him on any teams really felt, uh, those walks and earned runs he was giving up. But after those initial struggles, he really turned it around. I mean, um, over his last 10 games, he had a 50% strikeout rate. His walk rate fell all the way down to 11.8%. Um, so, You know, again, his O swing got a lot better, which I think is critical. One of the reasons why he really struggled with walks is because his O swing was down so much. So I mean it came on his walk rate of what is that, 48 and a half or something like that, you know, over that period of time. Uh no, I made that up. 38 and a half over that period of time. You know, the skills were there. Um, you know, he so he was really good. He's with the Cubs, he's in the NL Central, he's got that contract, so you know he's gonna be the closer at least initially for them so that kind of checks all the boxes i'm looking for and and you know and again like outside of last year i think he's been good like pretty much every other year that he's pitched and again this isn't like a i'm not trying to say that just because they haven't been bad before that they can't be bad Uh, again uh he was bad his first year with the cubs so it's been a couple years since he was actually good so maybe i should should reframe that but only 40 innings of work and both of the both times i think with a with an abbreviated spring so i, I like kimbrell i would be perfectly fine with him as my kind of closer one just because i think he'll get an opportunity he has the skills to succeed and, and i think he's in a good situation generally speaking so
1: yep i'm 100 with you that was the my number one as well um the second half or his second half as you mentioned basically got demoted to go work on his stuff, everything was phenomenal. You you listed it. Velocity was up. Strikeouts were through the roof. He was shutting guys down. Really nothing to complain about uh, when it comes to Kimbrell. Should be locking as the closer because there's really no one in Chicago that scares me to to do anything. He's got you know Rowan Wick who got a few shots, I guess, but other than that, not much going on there. So um, I definitely like some Craig Kimbrell. If you want to go even deeper with um, Kimbrell, his CSW is still 35.3% last year on the entire season, so that's pretty promising to me. His deserved barrels is only 11.7%, which is still high, but when you look on his season numbers, his barrel rate during the season was 18.5%. So that, that 7% drop-off, it adds up after a while. So um, there, there's definitely some things I like about Kimbrell to, uh, to improve on going into next year, and I'll, I'll definitely be jumping on that train. So I'm with you there. Plus, pick 181. This is where we're getting to the point where you can start taking some chances, and he's one of the few guys around that point in the draft that actually pretty much is locked into his job unless he screws it up again. So, I'll take my chances with Kimbrel at that point in the draft. Who is your second closer?
0: Well, there's not really any guys in around eleven to, to, to twenty outside of Kimbrel that I'm really that into right now. You know, I just see weaknesses in in all of them. I mean, when Rosenthal signs, assuming he's the closer somewhere. You know that'll well. be interesting although yeah the the walk rate you know always concerns me a little bit and then the guys who actually have a shot at closing like i mean yates is gonna go way up the board um but like Montero i mean montero's swinging strike rate last year was like under nine percent um and so I, I don't know if he's actually good so i put alex i put alex' Calmay here i actually don't I, don't I haven't drafted him at all this year just because when you're drafting relief pitchers you want to know that they have access to saves but i'm gonna assume that he's gonna end up in a place where he'll probably be the closer you know where that is exactly i'm not sure but i kind of included this one in here to make the point that i made with brand brad, brad hand which i didn't anticipate making because i came in kind of being down on brand hand which is just generally like i kind of dig the guys that seem to have a job and maybe a little bit of uh, of uh, cushion and call was this guy last year and Melanson was this guy last year where, you know, the skills don't jump off the page necessarily, but they're good enough pitchers where they have never really been bad, you know? And so that type of consistency, I think is important. And, and you throw them in, in kind of the closer role and, and you never know what can happen. And when you're not spending a lot of draft capital on them, then you're not as attached to them and you're not losing out as much when, when they inevitably fail. Um, so that's all to say, I wouldn't draft Alex Colomay right now, but I think that type of pitcher are the, are the guys that I want to go up. Like Brandon Kinsler last year is another example, which I didn't know he was going to have like a negative 3% K minus walk rate. I just knew that he was going to have saves and he's never really been bad anytime he's ever pitched. So.
1: No, I like that. The Colomays, the, even Rosenthal is suspect as the walk rate is it's a, it's, it's this handful of guys you you know, to this point in the draft. Are you willing to take the chance? Because more often than not, not always, but more often than not, these guys are going to sign for a team to be their closer. So that's just something to, uh, to keep in mind. When they do sign, like we just mentioned Kirby Yates and some others, they will move up the draft board quite a bit. So I, I don't mind taking specs at this point in the draft. Uh, my second guy in this range is Richard Rodriguez of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Similar to Kimbrel, um, there's there's ups and downs when you look at his overall profile. Big-time strikeout guy, strong CSW, gets a lot of swing and miss. But he also gets hit very hard, and he plays with fire. like He doesn't walk a lot of guys, so if he does get hit hard, he limits the damage that way, contrary to some other guys we talked about earlier. But um, the biggest thing for me is he's on the Pittsburgh Pirates, who aren't going to be good, but they're not going to be signing the guy to take his job either. At least they shouldn't be. Uh, so it should be his gig, unless something crazy happens. And we've seen bad teams like the Pirates still rock and roll a handful of saves. It's been it, – remember last year, Toby, on a shortened season, we the the Pirates' closing situation due to injuries was one of the most fabbed uh, positions I think we've ever taken chances on. I think there was Kyle Crick at one point and a bunch of other guys, Keona Kella and Richard Rodriguez and, and a handful of others that were all getting picked up and dropped because they went on the I.L. And so much fun in Pittsburgh. So it's Richard's job, and I will gladly be taking him in the picks around 200 or so, uh, going into drafts as my most likely closer to uh, on my draft day. So yeah, that's I, know, what I like.
0: I, I love that shout, too. And I think what you highlighted about, you know, he got hit really hard and he was still really successful. I think that's really nice because, you know, that's one of your always one of your concerns. But given what you just said about him, I think. Um, I think that's great. My my concern recently has been whether he'll end up with that job just because of some rumblings coming out of Pittsburgh about how, you know, they didn't want to give him the job necessarily. So, but um, I think it's a great shot. I, I like him a lot.
1: Well, that would be so Pirates to screw it up because you got Kyle Crick and Michael Feliz. Like, there's options there. I get it, but not as good as a uh, Rodriguez. So let's hope. Yeah. Let's hope. So we're going to do our late round flyers. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the pod, there's a lot of listener questions on later targets and there's a lot of confusing or up in the air situations. So we're going to run through the gamut real quick and give some Twitter answers on this. Um, So like Baltimore, for instance, are we on board that Hunter Harvey's the guy? Are you a Tanner Scott, Cesar Valdez, Dylan Tate? Who are you looking at in Baltimore? If you had to take
0: one. Uh, not really. I'm just kind of avoiding. Um, I don't want to offend you greatly, but I just don't see the incentives either for having Hunter Harvey be in that closer role. And I think last year, you know, uh, who was it? It was like Larkins and then Saltzer And, you know, they just really moved around that closer role a lot. I don't think there's there's any reason for them to be tied to a single closer in that situation. And the closing opportunities are going to be minimal. So I'm just kind of staying away generally.
1: Yeah, I still like Harvey because he was injured last year for the most part when he lost his gig, but uh, pick 371 has a little appeal to me. Uh, the other situation you can like is uh, Tanner Scott is going around pick 560, so if you're in deeper uh, drafts, I don't hate that as a speculative uh, go for uh, the Baltimore situation because it will get volatile at times there, and he's a lefty, so if they want to play matchups, he can uh, sneak in there as well uh boston we have matt barnes they just picked up autumn adam autovino uh if you had to go somewhere there where are you going
0: um i mean i think i'm probably still going with barnes uh i can't remember what autovino's lefty righty splits are but um you know that would be interesting to know i mean barnes was was pretty good towards the end of last year you know seemed to figure out the control issues a little but i think there was a pitch mix change in there you know, my only question is, I, I, if I remember incorrectly in the previous seasons, I don't think Joey Cora was, was ever really, um, I don't know if he used him in super high leverage situ- spots or not. So a few questions about that. I think if, if, you know, Renicky which we know he wasn't going to stick around, but if he had stuck around, you know, he gave him the closer roll, roll down the stretch and he really thrived. So it's a good scenario. I think, you know, it, the, the challenge is right now, you're paying for Barnes about what you're paying for Kimbrell and some guys with with solid situations. So I think if we get indications that he is the closer, then I don't mind going after him. I think he kind of fits the the profile, generally speaking. But you know, for time being, I'm not, I'm not really sure who it is. And then Ottavino, he wasn't that good last year, was he? Yeah. No, five, he, eight, nine, he was banged five, up. At, for
1: some reason, I was talking with someone today. I feel like he was on the COVID train last year. I mm-hmm. could be wrong, but I, I thought there was something that took place that kind of limited his overall experience. Yeah. Could be wrong.
0: Let's let's see. I wonder if – I'm, I'm going to check out his career splits and just yeah, – I, I pulled him up right here. Oh, yeah. So better he gets, versus than lefties. He gets crushed versus lefties at 343 yeah. 43 career WOBA. So I think that's super problematic with, with the new rules around three batter minimum – and being in that closer spot, hmm, I'm not that into it. Maybe I'm more into Barnes now than I was previously because I think he's clearly, clearly kind of the guy. So that's what I would say. I'm, I, I'm a little bit more a fan of a Barnes than coming into it. Still some hesitation. I could see, I could see the Red Sox signing Colome. You know, he was. He's, that's one. That would be a
1: phenomenal there. landing he spot. Could,
0: he could kind of fit in. So.
1: Yeah, I would like that a lot. And a little deeper, lefty, 21% K rate, 13% walk. Righty's 31%, 9% walk. And to top it off, home run per fly ball for lefties, 14.2%. Righty's 96 So, yeah, lefties, frisbee,
0: you know? yep,
1: lefties get to him quite well, as you mentioned. So, yeah, I'm with you. Barnes is, is the guy for now. I, I've, I've been a Darwinsian Hernandez guy late in, like, super deep drafts. If you need him, I think he finds his way there because he's a lefty. If you look at their roster resource – bullpen right now it's almost all righties so i think hernandez gets his shot to, to make an impact eventually but for now it's Barnes. hopefully they sign someone like you said though that'd make the most sense uh we know the yankee situation so we're good there tampa bay you got peter fairbanks you have nick anderson you have diego castillo um fairbanks didn't get a save last year but he pitched very well out of the bullpen anderson had six saves, castillo had four alvarado's gone he had a handful so it was a three-headed monster there last year how are you going about it this year? Nick Anderson is still an expensive price tag, but you can Castillo and Fairbanks relatively cheap.
0: Yeah, I mean Anderson's so good, but again, do not see the incentives for them to to give him saves. I think they'll handle it like they have in the past. I do like Castillo a little bit. You know, I think he's above Fairbanks. You know, uh, in the pecking order, he was pretty clearly the closer for them. You know during the playoffs like kind of in crunch time and when it mattered so i lean towards castillo in this situation not as the best pitcher obviously but as the guy who by the end of the season may have the most saves but again generally in a void, i'm not sure i i i have um any of them on on any of my teams honestly yeah diego's going around a little after pick 300 fairbanks
1: around 420 Uh, nick anderson in the in the early ones so it is. Uh, Nick Anderson's a guy I just haven't had anything of. He's an elite pitcher, like you said, but Diego's a guy I don't mind snagging later in drafts. If you basically are punting saves in a draft champion, you just want to load up on guys later? I think Castillo's interesting because he's going to get his weeks where he gets a lot of saves, or if you don't have enough starters you want that week, so on and so forth. He could plug into an interesting spot for you, and Fairbanks is a long-shot option. But uh, I'm with you on Castillo. He'd be a guy I'd be looking to for sure. Uh, real quick on Toronto, there's Kirby Yates, obviously got signed there. He should start out as a closer. Jordan Romano, Rafael Dulles, are you still sold on Yates or are you taking a chance on Romano or Dolles?
0: No, I mean, I think Yates is the closer there. Um, so, you know, I had some, a little bit of hope for um, Dulles, um but, you know, that's kind of out the window. Dolles was really good down the stretch. I mean, really good, phenomenal um, when Romano was out so and he's older and you know he's already on a contract so um i i was leaning to in his direction but i think yates is is the closer there
1: yeah i was big on romano so i'm kind of a lot of my shares are hoping things change but we'll see how that goes um cleveland we mentioned corinne we're both really not a big fan of if you had to go somewhere you have nick Wittgren, emmanuel classe i picked up Wittgren in and late in a lot of drafts so far so what are you thinking
0: yeah I mean I, I like that shout I, I don't see why karinchak would be it one guy that's not on that on that list who I think should be is um Phil Maton um, or mattin uh, he was absolutely incredible last year I mean I think he really he really flew under the under the radar um he's been a guy that I've been drafting in like pretty much every Draft champions league. I'm in 17.1% swinging strike rate last year, 27.1% K minus walk rate, even with a 415 uh, Babbitt, you know, didn't give up a ton of home runs. When you look at his like pitch level metrics, they're nasty. What was his forcing swinging strike rate? 19.1% swinging strike rate on his forcing fastball and a 40% chase rate, you know, has four pitches. Well, I guess three pitches. He doesn't really throw that sinker all that often. Um, that are generating a decent swinging strike, so I really like him. He's pretty pretty young, twenty seven. So maybe there's the same kind of incentive issue there, but just like a deep league spec. Who, you know, if you have him on your team, I don't think he's going to hurt you, and he could be he could be really good if he were to find himself entering that situation.
1: Yeah, definitely a possibility. Uh, Detroit always up in the air. Um, Brian Garcia, Gregory Soto, Buck Farmer even got chances last year. Joe Jimenez is still around, even though he struggled tremendously towards the end of last year. I'm, I'm pretty much staying away. I, I've found myself maybe a Gregory Soto or a Brian Garcia, like in the one of the last rounds in a draft to, uh, to take a shot. But overall, I'm kind of steering clear. What are you doing with Detroit?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm generally steering clear. Here's another situation where maybe a call may make sense, you know, if they go out and, and get a guy. But for me, the one guy that interests me that I've – gotten in a couple draft champions, maybe we just one is um, Cisnero, you know, he's older. I think he's 32, um, was really good last year. I mean, 303 ERA, the 10.3 K per nine, you know, limited the walks a little bit. When you look at some of the other guys in that in, back there, I mean, Brian Garcia, five K per nine and a 4.2 walk per nine, Buck Farmer, 5.9 K per nine you know, even Gregory Soto, who was really good for, for a lot of last year, you know, he walked five per nine. So Cisnero is really the only guy there. I mean, I no offense to Joe Jimenez, but he's never been good. I mean, he's Man. never been good. So I don't know why he would all of a sudden become good. Uh, Cisnero. Um, I just, he just seems like the most complete package in that bullpen right now. But again, could be a scenario where I think it makes sense for teams like Detroit, where, you know, with the expanded playoffs, potentially, maybe they have a shot, probably not. I mean, I kind of like the rotation a little bit, but you sign a guy like column a maybe to like one year, $8 million contract. And then if he does well for you that year, and you're not in the running, then you can, you can trade him at the deadline for something, you know, and if he does well and, and you're in it, then, 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 then that works out too. So, you know uh again i like cisnero the most but i'm generally avoiding this situation yeah
1: definitely uh kansas city royals got greg holland who they brought back is obviously going to get the spots until they trade him if they trade him josh Stallmont was waiting in the wings i was a big fan of that situation but uh looks like it's greg holland's deal you on board on that
0: yeah i I like greg holland a lot ever since he's been signed i've been picking him up in a lot of dcs around pick 220 to 250. You know, I think everything he did last year was legit. There's nothing that really jumps out at me as a huge concern. The home run per nine was very low, uh, but he's been he's been at that number before in the past. You know, Kauffman Stadium is obviously a nice place to be. 21.4% K-walk minus rate. He bumped that swinging strike rate up to 13.1%. He was getting some, some chases, which is really nice. And I think a lot of it, if I remember correctly, was a pitch mix change. Yeah, so he was down 10% on the fastball. He had a two, about a one and a half mile per hour below jump on that through the slider 50% of the time. Um, so he bumped his usage of that pitch up about seven and a half eight 8%. And then he was throwing a curveball um, a little bit more as well. And I want to say both of those pitches have always been really good pitches for him, just from a batted ball perspective. Um, let me just double check before I, I, I submit that to the record, but yeah, so 52% ground ball rate on on um, oh that's his forcing actually. So 47.7% on that slider, 57.1% you know on his curveball. So it actually doesn't look like well in the past they they used to be really good, but maybe not. So I won't go with that narrative. But um, yeah, I mean overall like the increased usage of that slider up to 17.6% with a 43.2% O-swing on that, and he's throwing that 50% of the time. I think that's really nice. And he can throw it for strikes too, um, which
1: I think is great. All right, let's head to Oakland. You got Jake Diekman, uh, Lou Trevino's there, JB Wendelkin. I think Diekman definitely starts out with the job. I think Wendelkin is kind of a, a hidden gem there. Trevino's very good, but I think they like they like Trevino in higher leverage spots. That's why I kind of think he stays out of the closers role, that's my two cents. So I've been grabbing some Diekman here and there, and then if you're in super – the super late rounds, I think Wendelkin's very much in play. You know, big-time strikeout stuff with both of them. Uh, they do have the, their walk issues from time to time, but they definitely know how to limit the damage. You know, 13 holds from Deekman last year. I know we're talking saves here, but that just shows you he can come in and shut the door when it matters. Uh, also a lefty specialist at times, but was very good versus righties as well. So um, Deekman is going around pick 318 and Wendelkin – is that pick 468? So both of them come at nice values. And I, I like them both if you're in deep leagues, but if you have to pick just one, I'm going Deekman. What are you doing in Oakland?
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, Deekman did do really well. Um, I was really impressed. I did not realize how well he did last year. Oakland has said that they're gonna go with him, so I don't I don't see a reason not to believe that. He's 34. I think he's on like year two of of a contract. I don't think he's like going to be, you know, who has to worry about arbitration. So there's that piece of the equation. You know, Trevino was fine. Um, Wendelkin was really good as well. I think Weems was another guy that actually jumped out at me a little bit. Um, Maybe walks a a few too many guys, but um, I want to say he limited contact really, really well. He
1: had a 17% barrel rate.
0: Weems did or
1: 12%, 12%. Sorry.
0: 12%. Yeah. I should know that. Cause it's right in, right in front of me. This is actually a new resource. I've never used this before. It it's great, it's phenomenal. I, I can't remember what it was then about Weems that I was super interested in. Maybe it was, I think it was that I was diving in. He's got a pitch. He's got, what was it? It was his changeup. Maybe I want to say, I can't remember it. There was, it was something about his repertoire that jumped out at me and it's not working. So while, um, while you look at it, while you look at it, I'm going to, I'm going to look this up because I think I want to say he like had a pitch mix change midway through. Yeah. His splitter. Splitter had a 30% swinging strike rate on it and a 41.4% O swing. Um, he couldn't get it in the zone, but when he's generating that many swings and misses and he's getting that many chases, I want to say he started throwing it a lot more. I was doing it. I was doing a dive, you know, in my DCs, um, so with his 10 game rolling average let's see what it was. Why was I interested in him? Um I know this is enthralling stuff maybe. Um uh, 13.1% swing strike rate, dominant in the zone 76.1%. Um 31% strikeout rate, 12% walk rate. Got his he got his strikeout rate into the mid three mid thirty percent at certain points. So, anyways, long story short, I think there's a lot of arms in the Oakland bullpen. I think Diekman's the most likely one, but I think there's a lot of potential speculations in, in a DC. Don't forget about Weems as like a fiftieth round guy just in case. Uh, one more I'll throw out, and it's one I'm not on, but he's a pick seven
1: forty eight. If you look at Greg Jewett's closers charts. He has a closer to potentially share time with Diekman or take Deekman over at some point. Birch Smith. So just a name if you if you want to go there. And he does a ton of Birch, work on right? it. Yeah. Yeah. So like I trust his word. If he's throwing a guy out like that, he's done the research to at least justify it. So um keep that in mind. If you're super deep league, 750-ish draft pick, Birch Smith is a guy to keep in mind. I, I won't even try to give you analysis on that because I I know not much about him but uh, definitely something to keep in mind. Uh, Texas, I know LeClerc's pretty much the guy there for now, Seattle, Rafael Montero. So let's move to um, the National League. We mentioned Will Smith as a top 20.
0: One one thing about Texas bullpen is, yeah, LeClerc, uh, definitely LeClerc, but Jolie Rodriguez is a guy. I don't think Jonathan Hernandez is going to see that closer role anytime soon. Rangers went out of their way to keep him out of that spot. He's a young guy. Arbitration, you know, again, what are the financial incentives that guys have? You know, Rodriguez was nasty last year. 213 ERA, 103 whip, 17 strikeouts in about 13 innings. 23.1% came out his walk rate, you know, um, good in the zone. So that's another one where I think if Leclerc struggles, which we know he certainly can, I think Rodriguez is maybe the next man up there as opposed to Hernandez is the one thing I'd add.
1: Yeah, that's not a bad one. I know a lot of us do like Hernandez, but Jolie's a pick 637. So definitely someone later in the draft to keep an eye on. To the National League, Will Smith, top 20 relief pitcher off the board, but Chris Martin is in line to close. I know you like Chris Martin. Are you still on board as Chris Martin as the Atlanta guy, assuming they don't bring Melanson or someone else? I'm on board. I know you like Chris Martin. No, I mean,
0: I I read uh, in Mining the News, you know, they plan on splitting Will Smith and – um, and Chris Martin, you know, kind of play the righty lefty angle there. Smith already has the contract, so no concerns there, but so does Martin. I mean, they signed him to a two year deal last year. I lo- what I love about him is he doesn't walk anybody, he never walks guys, and he's really good. I mean, he's really good. He doesn't have a dominating fastball, but he can get it done. Um, he's done that for a couple of years now, and I think he's going around pick like 415. In drafts, so for fifty percent of the shares of saves and for the Braves, I'm good ratios. I'm I'm in on that.
1: Yep, Chris Martin at pick three sixty four now. Moving on up, but yes, still a good value, no doubt about that. Uh, we go to Miami, who just signed Anthony Bass that people assume might close. He's listed as a co-closer with Yemi Garcia, who was uh, decent towards the end of last year, and he took over the closer's role uh, for Kensler who was uh, injured or lost his favor last year, but. Who are you looking at in Miami? Because Yimi was the guy I kind of looked at, but Anthony Bass has been pretty darn good in his time with Toronto and whatnot, and could easily slide in and take some closing situations there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've i am a big um, Yimi fan, like generally speaking, but I think Bass is the guy that I think Bass is the guy that they probably signed here, you know, um, to take over this role um yimmy is um three years younger um i don't know what his contract situation is um garcia so i'd have to look a little bit at that i mean i think yimmy's like really good um but i do think that bass like if i were to draft them in a in a dc right now i would draft bass over garcia just because i think he'll he'll get the saves and i think garcia being the best reliever in that bullpen and then using him in the highest leverage spot probably makes sense just from a team perspective. And we saw last year how even though Kinsler was, you know, he was fine. He was good. The results were good. He was awful from a skills perspective. Despite that, you know, they still stuck with him, uh, with Garcia there. So, um, yeah, I I would lean towards Bass in this scenario with Garcia being uh, the better pitcher.
1: Yeah. Garcia, free agent after – at 2022, so I think after this season – so that's something to keep in mind. He's going to pick like three fourteen bass, six and twenty. So I'll definitely be taking my shots on bass in some of these drafts coming up. I think he'll get his fair shake, as, as you mentioned. Um, if you look at uh, Greg Jewett's here, he's got bass in there without Jimmy helping at all. So be interesting to see how that pans out. Um, we go to the Philadelphia Phillies. They picked up Archie Bradley. They traded for Jose Alvarado. Hector Nares is still in town. This seems like a disaster in the making here. Like wow. I loved out. Al- I loved Alvarado at one point rumor has it. Archie Bradley's going to close Hector Naris had his ups and downs, but still got the job done more often than not. It's a disaster. So what are you doing with Philadelphia?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's a situation where I'll kind of monitor um, who's going where. And I think I want to be all over Neris, Um, If, if it looks like Bradley's closing, I've never been a huge fan of Bradley. He just doesn't have the strikeout stuff that a closure traditionally does but he has, I mean, arguably, I mean, he was, he was solid um, last year and Philly certainly obviously likes him. Naris was much better second half of the year last year. He really got it going. I think his VLO bumped up a little bit uh, after the, you know, the abbreviated um, spring training or summer training or whatever you want to call it. One name just to keep an eye on is uh, Connor Brogdon. Um, shout out to the baseball HQ uh, forecaster. I wasn't aware of Brogdon until I read um, I read about read his profile, but really like Brogdon uh, a lot, you know, less so now with Bradley there, but my kind of strategy earlier on was to get Naris. I have like five shares of Naris in my DCs and then to go with Brogdon as the backup there. Um, so just, a, just a, not a name to draft, maybe in a DC, but just a, a name to keep an eye on as the season progresses, depending on how he's doing. You know, he had the highest strikeout rate of that group, 13.5%. You know, a uh, low—not a low walk rate, but lower than Neris is at four. You know, so he did—he did well in his in his sh- uh, short time. And outside of Alvarado, has the has the fastest fastball. So, some things to keep in mind.
1: Yeah, that's no, not bad at all. I'm still enjoying the Hector Naris discount. I'm I'm gonna keep keep snagging mm-hmm. that up in drafts because I think he'll get his. But uh, screw Archie Bradley, that makes me very angry. Yeah, um, uh, with, yeah with Washington, I mentioned Tanner Rainey. I would still keep an eye on him. But I'm with you, Brad Hand. They signed him for a reason, so keep that in mind. Chicago,
0: we got Kimbrell. Can Simpson. we talk about Daniel Hudson for a second? Sure. What do you got? And how sad I am that he um, that he isn't getting in the closer role. 14.6% yeah, yeah, uh, swing strike rate, 18.5% K-walk minus rate. Like, he was really good. He just gave up 2.6 home runs per nine and had a home run per fly ball rate. Um, what was it? 21.4%. That's what happened to Daniel Hudson last year in a small sample size. I was really hoping he was going to get a chance. I, I I have him in quite a few places too, but sad me.
1: Cincinnati, you got Amir Garrett, Lucas Sims, your boy TJ, Antone. All of these guys would not shock me if they come away. This feels like Tampa Bay in the NL Central. Like these guys, they, they could make matchups with Garrett and Sims. Antone, you made your
0: case for him a few times. What are you doing with this situation? I mean, I think they're all really great options. I think you see Garrett as the least likely um, just because he's a lefty and I don't really think they have other lefties in that bullpen um, that, that are jumping to mind that they probably do, but um, you know, not none that I'm thinking about right now. So I would lean towards Sims. I still think that TJ Anton has a chance, especially if Castillo or gray are traded to end up in the rotation. I mean, he was just, ridiculously good and he'll be ridiculously good you know whatever wherever he ends up i just think he's he's really still underrated um i know hoffman's in here i actually like him for the rotation i am a big fan of jeff hoffman we've talked about him on the starting pitcher show so if i were to grab one guy here it would be lucas sims but um you know that's it's it's a tough situation i also don't think they're an orthodox team so i I think they're going to play around with matchups and things like that and then leverage spots.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I think Garrett's a phenomenal pitcher, but uh, the leverage and the uh, the situational pitching makes more sense. So Lucas Sims, a picked 321. I like quite a bit. Antoine's going right after him in drafts right now, but uh, Sims, the overall repertoire is very good. Um, Alex Fass has uh gift him quite a bit and then broken it all down. I believe he was on their show actually last year as well. So, um, there's good stuff with Lucas Sims, uh, strikeout-wise, the overall goodies. So I like him quite a bit. Uh, we talked about Pittsburgh. We talked about Milwaukee. St. Louis. This is a fun one. Alex Reyes, Andrew Miller, Giovanni Gallegos, Jordan Hicks coming back from injury. My goodness. I like the uh, the upside of Alex Reyes. If they want to roll with him, I think he might be the filthiest of the options. and He's a guy I've been kind of staring at in a lot of drafts to take. Otherwise, I'm just kind of like, like Andrew Miller's not even getting drafted in a lot of leagues. Do you have any Gallegos people love. What are you doing with the situation?
0: I mean, I think Gallegos is probably the best pitcher for me, but I, I've actually have quite, a, I have a few shares of Jordan Hicks. Um, I just think that whenever he's been in a situation where he can close, the Cardinals have gone with him. And normally I'd be like, well, what are the incentives for a young guy in his situation? But they started him out in the closer role two years ago. And then before the Tommy John surgery, you know, they had him in, in the closer role as well, and he was actually much better that season from a skills perspective, he still, you know, the velocity is going to be great. All the reports out of the spring are great. You know, the interviews that I've seen with Schilt, he said that, you know, as long as if Hicks is healthy and looks okay, that he'll be in that role. So maybe they manage his workload a little bit, but I kind of see him, I, I don't mind him at all. And then I think I like pairing him with Reyes because, yeah, potential that he's the closer, but I think there's also the potential that maybe he's able to unlock, yeah, something in the rotation or even middle relief. I mean, you know, the skills are off the charts. So as long as he's healthy, I think he's going to contribute to your fantasy team in one way or another. So I kind of like that bullpen situation because I can get Hicks and then maybe get one of the other guys that kind of falls by the wayside in drafts or falls a little bit deeper in drafts.
1: I like the Hicks uh, call there. He's good around pick like two forty. Gallegos around two eighty, and then Alex Reyes like three eighty six. I think that's why I keep ending up with a lot of Reyes. It's kind of the idea: if you have a jumbled mess, take the cheapest piece of the jumbled mess. That's just kind of my thought process there. But Hicks is a guy I liked a lot going into last season. So if if things pan out properly, sure. Uh, But Reyes, it's kind of the combo like you said. If you take him in a DC, you might get some closing early. He might go into the rotation. And if stuff's good enough to be a pretty good starter, or he could be a long man in, like, an a, a opener-type situation, there's a lot of possibilities for Reyes, like you said, to help your fantasy team out. And I picked 386. I like that quite a bit. So uh, the guy's electric. And the fastball going around close to 98 miles an hour, stracular rate 12.1K per nine. Walks have always been an issue with him, but health has always been an issue as well. But when he, when he is healthy, you know, 28.9% hard hit rate's pretty darn good. So I like Alex Reyes quite a bit hoping he either gets the the closing situation or put him in the rotation for the St. Louis Cardinals. Arizona Diamondbacks, you have Stefan Crichton is here, you have Kevin Ginkle, who got chances last year. It's an overall messy situation there in the desert but it looks like it's Crichton's job to lose right now. I'm probably staying away from it from the most part but uh what say you?
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't mind Crichton. I don't, I haven't drafted him at all. You know, he had an interview earlier this year where he was kind of, you know, they asked him about being the closer and his response to me kind of indicated that he doesn't see himself in that position long-term. So I don't know if those are conversations he's had with the team or not, but he just was kind of saying like, you know, I don't have to be the closer. I can, you know, I can, um, contribute to the team and if I'm coming into the eighth inning or these different spots and so to me it was it was kind of um I don't know for some reason that was a little bit unnerving and I also think he doesn't have traditional closer stuff he doesn't he doesn't strike guys out as much but he has been solid the last couple of years but again I see this as a scenario where maybe you know one of the guys who's left on the market ends up uh ends up going to, to Arizona on like a discounted deal and you know, with a shot to close and maybe a shot to join a contender at the trade deadline or something like that. But um, I'm kind of staying away so far. But if we get to the point of the season where, you know, we hear Christian is the closer, then I, I have no problem grabbing him, you know, where he's going right now, if not a little bit ahead of that, if he's got access to saves.
1: Yeah, Ginkle outside of having walk issues is very intriguing, but the walk issues are a massive problem as well. So but he's, like, picking around 640 in draft. So it, it at least crosses my mind with him. So it's just such a mess there in Arizona to, to look at. They, they make the most sense to sign someone, like you said. Uh, Colorado, you got Daniel Bard. Great story last year. He looks to get the spot to start. You got Michael Givens. A uh, couple other guys hanging around there. It's Coors pitchers. Are you taking the, the chance on a Daniel Bard at uh, pick 291, or are you just saying, you know what, it's Coors?
0: Yeah, I'll totally take that like in a traditional draft. I'm not necessarily targeting with DCs just because I think there's guys who are going a little bit later, like LeClerc and others who, um, you know, I like maybe a little bit more just cause they don't pitch in cool cores, but I think Bard was solid. I mean, there's nothing in his profile that, that concerns me overly. I mean, he doesn't have the elite numbers that maybe, you know, you want from a traditional closer, but, even though his walks were a little high last year, I don't know if the numbers support that he was in the zone a lot he got chases outside the zone. And I want to say that he had one of the lower, um, ball percentages, um, of, of, relief pitchers last year or of closers last year when I was doing some research. So I don't mind, I don't mind Bart at all. He's the guy that I would target in here. I would stay away from some of the other guys. It's just funny to me, like some of the trades they make, like, you know, picking up Stevenson for Hoffman, which, is whatever, right? They're both kind of, I mean, Stevenson's been good, but it's like when, when his dominant pitch is that, is that slider, you know, it's like, is he going to be as effective, you know? So I'm kind of, I I think Bard's got, got the leash and again, incentives in his favor where he's an older guy and they don't really have to worry about arbitration with him. So I don't mind taking Bard. I, I haven't drafted him yet, but it's just because I think some of the options going later, I like a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I haven't found myself drafting him at all. It's been tough to uh, to stomach that one at that point in time. Uh, San Diego Padres, you got Drew Pomeranz who was outstanding last season. Emilio Pagan's there. Uh, they're still rumored to be in the Rosenthal sweepstakes, but for now, you got Pomeranz. You got Pagan. I've been looking to grab Pomeranz at certain points in drafts. So I think he's that good. Even if he's not the closer, what he does as a reliever to your roster is outstanding. Pick two fifty one. Um, so he's a guy I, I do have targeted as a, a closing option for me. Uh, what are you doing with San Diego?
0: Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm heavily invested in Pierce Johnson, actually. Um, he had one of the highest CSWs last year. He was pretty dominant um, over the course of the season. I think Pomerantz is fine. I agree. I think when he pitches, he's really good. A little bit of a concern. His VLO went up last year, and then he had the injury. And so I worry a little bit about that. From his perspective, I think Pagan is a great speculative ad for saves as well. It's kind of another scenario where you know um maybe Pomerance makes the most sense as the guy who's most likely to end up as the closer, if not Rosenthal, but um where I'd much rather target the guys going later on that I think are 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 really skilled and um you know, may make sense as 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 closers if they're not going with one specific guy, or if they put Pomerantz in situations where he's highest leverage or or faces lefties more often.
1: Yeah, Pomerantz are around pick two fifty. Pagan at four thirty seven definitely justifies a, a shot. I don't I don't hate that at all with Pagan at that point in the draft. Um, the Giants' last one here, closer committee, closer committee, closer committee, closer roster resource has no idea, but neither do we. Uh, Reyes Maranta, for me, if he's healthy, he is the guy, but that's a big if right now. Tyler Rogers struggled early on, actually finished the season pretty darn good. So that was a a tough one. You got Jarlin Garcia who they brought over. You got Matt Whistler. I'm kind of staying away unless it's a really deep league and you want to take a shot on a Reyes Maranta or something, but what are you doing here?
0: Yeah, I mean, Maranta seems most likely to be the guy from everything I've seen, but he's coming off an injury. And he had the major walk issues. I mean, the last two seasons, 13.4% walk rate, 14.1% walk rate. And the strikeout rate is good, but it's not necessarily fantastic. So I've been kind of speculating more on, on Whistler or Weasler, whatever it is, only because, you know, he's an older guy. He was really successful last year going heavy, heavy slider um, with the Twins. Um, you know, was was a really effective reliever. They let him go, but he's on a one year, $1.15 million contract. So he's, he's only got that one year contract. If he gets saves, he can be a piece. They move at the deadline. If they're not competing, if they are competing, you know, he's a key part of that bullpen. So it may be a situation where, you know, I, I, I imagine he has pretty bad splits though, now that I'm thinking about it. So it may be a situation where it's a little bit more, um, it's a little more, bit more like dependent on who's, who's up yeah he's he's got pretty bad splits. another like frisbee guy um, with their with their slider. but I, I don't mind him just because I think you know everything everything being equal, I think you know he might be able to get some shots.
1: yeah, it's it's gonna be Kepler at his finest with that bullpen. I don't I don't trust anybody to run away with it unless something changes dramatically in spring training. All right. Some whisper like, questions.
0: Has your has your opinion of Kepler changed at all because of how good they were last year, or do you think it was in spite of him that they were good?
1: I'm not going to say he didn't do some good things, but I think I, I my more in line with what Farhan's doing. He's putting this team together that can, you know, scrape things together. That uh, I guess they're they're more of a scrappy bunch that you know not flashy but can play baseball. Yeah, tough and, at bats. Yeah, and, that, and I, I I give him more credit for that than than Kapler. Maybe it's just because I have a bad feelings for Kapler. I don't know. But like like they're they looks like they're gonna sign Tom with Estella. That is the total Farhan move. It's like we already have Solano, they already have Flores, so everyone's like, well, what are they gonna put Estella? It's far built the Dodgers. You know all the headaches we have as fantasy owners with the Dodgers roster. He's gonna do that with the Giants because he doesn't care about your fantasy team. Estella makes the Giants a much better baseball team. Yeah. So it's just it's just one of those little deals that. You're gonna have to kind of. Solano's pretty much gonna be obsolete, possibly. Flores is more of a utility guy again. Maybe he platoons with Estella. A lot of things to be determined there, but it uh, definitely muddies the water. But he they've does got, not care.
0: They've got a lot of position flexibility there too, like with yeah. Flores and yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's what they love to do, and and you got to think about it. After I don't know what the length of Estella's deal, but you know, there's a lot of money leaving the the team after this year. A lot of money, so it's gonna be really interesting um listener questions and we answered a lot of these by doing a little exercise there as part of the exercise thought process but brian vogel asked you know miami oakland sf cleveland texas thoughts on closers there we just hit all of those up brian so uh, just rewind about you know five ten minutes and get the whole rundown and then um what late round arms are you looking at in dc's toby i know you mentioned some names there but what ones have you been kind of circling as you've been drafted if you don't wanna give away all your secrets?
0: Late, late names that I've been going after. Pierce Johnson, although I haven't been really getting him that late because I think there's a little hype train on him going. Um, uh, Phil Maton is a guy that I had. Uh, Connor Brogdon I've been getting a lot of. Couple maybe of Jose Cisnero. Um, who else have I been looking at? I like Brent Suter a lot. I mean, he's not really a closer, but he is a relief pitcher. I mentioned him, so so those are some of the guys that are that I that I do like um, that are coming to the front of my mind right now. But I think that's one of the things is just like you know I kind of wish I had more Jolie Rodriguez to be honest with you. I'm I'm just thinking that I got my first um, I drafted Leclerc for the first time in my last draft. I don't know if I drafted Jolie Rodriguez as well, but that feels like a really good combo to have. Honestly, like in a DC would be like Leclerc followed by Rodriguez, because he's going so much later. I like those types of guys where you can get kind of, you know, we're not good at getting their handcuff, but if their handcuff is high skilled, so there's still some utility to them, even if they're not the closer. And then they have the potential that they could shift into the closer. I think that's a really nice spot. I should have been a little bit more strategic in thinking about those things. Oh, Scott Barlow too, on Kansas city. I know I, I like Greg man. Holland a lot, but Barlow was really good. And the, 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 under, the, the results weren't, I think as indicative of how good of a pitcher he was last year just from like a swinging strike perspective, K-minus walk rate perspective. So he's another guy where I think he's falling now that Greg Holland was drafted. And so he's a guy that you can kind of pick up as well in like maybe the mid 400s, late 400s now because it looks like Holland has the job there.
1: Yeah, a few for me, Anthony Bass, but that's going to probably come up. I'm surprised it actually hasn't yet. So that's
0: one to keep an eye on there. Yeah, Does that include since he was since he was signed? Because he was only signed last week, right? Yeah, I'd have to shrink it down because I did the whole month of January. Mm-hmm. Let me do a quick exercise. What's his early there. pick
1: on what um, you have? Uh, let me do this real quick. Bass, his early pick's 383. So there you go. Yep. Okay. That, yep. Moving on up. Moving on up. Big time. But a couple other ones that I know I've been looking at, if I didn't get Rands we did talk about Pagan. I do have him in a couple spots in best balls. I like Alex Reyes, like I talked about um, later in drafts. And then in the American League side of things here, um, Nick Wittigren for Cleveland, I've been grabbing late in drafts. Anoli Paredes, kind of your thought process. If They might not take over the closers role, but if they're in, they're still helping you a lot, and they could close for Houston. Mm. Paredes uh, has some interesting stuff, so I've been – uh, targeting him late as well, among a few others. So those are kind of the main ones for me. But there's going to be a lot when you get – like, you know how it goes, Toby. When these guys that are asking questions know when you get late in those drafts and it's your turn to pick on that two- to four-hour clock, you just start looking at names and start researching. Well, what do we have here? Oh, well, what do we have here? And eventually you start having a pool. Like you just like, these are my guys, and we're just going to roll with it. Um, Dave Petrosiello asks, I feel that Tampa will use Anderson most for high leverage, but he'll get a handful of saves. I think Fairbanks is the guy there. We discussed um, Fairbanks and Diego Castillo. You still think it's Castillo, right?
0: Yeah, I just don't. I don't think there's going to be a guy there, but I think Castillo, for me, seems like the most likely to end the season with the most saves. Yeah, I, I think, I think your uses an opener sometimes, and yep. even in the playoffs, like Castillo was pretty solidly their closer.
1: Yep, I'm with you, uh, Zach Roto from the Draft Champagnes podcast. Deep league stabs, I'm researching a main draft, but haven't yet. Justin Topa, Ryan Hendricks. Thoughts, if none, who are some guys in your Raiders that you don't have any of yet? Yeah, um, I'm going to be honest, never even looked at those guys. Do you have any thoughts?
0: Uh, Topa, I just remember Topa has a really nasty pitch. He's on the Brewers, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, Brewers, yeah, 12.6% swinging strike rate, only had seven and two-thirds innings. I feel like he has. Let me just check really quickly in the repertoire. Maybe it's a changeup. I think maybe he has another really dominant changeup. No slider. Twenty percent swinging strike rate. I mean, I think he's fine. Um, velo at ninety-seven nine, which is obviously nice, and the sinker generates a lot of um, a lot of ground balls. So definitely an interesting one. You know, Zach, that seems that seems great. Who is the second one? Um, Ryan Hendricks. Do yeah. you spell Hendricks?
1: Like Jimmy Hendrix, H-E-N-D-R-I-X. He's, a, he's got a minor league profile. Oh, he's Hendricks. got a
0: minor league profile. Double-A
1: Cincinnati Reds. Mm.
0: I mean, Zach's on top of it, so I'm assuming he's probably on like the 40 man. You know, certainly possible. Um, yeah, certainly possible. Last in double-A. His ATC projections are all right. You know, the strikeouts seem a little low for what you might want to be working with, but anything, anything's possible in a 50-round draft, champions.
1: Yep, anything's possible. Anything is possible. Uh, at, uh, Jake Halusker at the Dustmite, he asked, Toby, it's pretty clear for your Battle of the Pods draft that you are still employing the late closer shot strategy. Is this something you've always done, or is it a more recent development
0: based on the state of closing in MLB? Um, I think it's, um, I it's mean, I don't, you know, I've only been playing that at for a couple years, so it's hard to say, like, I can't remember back, like when I used to play other leagues, I, I've never really wanted to invest highly in a closer. I just think it's not an efficient use of draft resources. The reason why you draft closers is for saves. Yes, you want closers who are good, that get you really good ratios. But because the position is so, you know, just by its nature and the number of innings pitched, like there's a lot of variance. So it can be difficult to identify those guys. And each year there are guys that come out of nowhere. Like think about Devin Williams, right? I'm sure some people were on Devin Williams before the season started, but like he came out of nowhere to be absolutely dominant. And while he didn't get saves, right? two years ago it was Liam Hendricks, right? When you got him, when he became the closer, when Trinan went down, you know? And so there's always those types of scenarios. And so I think my philosophy is just, I would rather kind of speculate later on. I still want to get a couple guys that seem to have the job. And so as we get closer to the season, as we learn who the closers are more likely to be, you know, those guys who are going in the 300s, in the mid 200s, you know, they're going to move up a little bit. And so I'll probably target them like, You know, last year, the guys I was going after were Columet, were Kinsler, were Kimbrell. You know, that didn't work out great. But um, guys like that, because I just I hate to spend an early round draft pick on a closer, you know, when I could get a really good starting pitcher there or I could get a really good hitter there. It's just kind of especially for me, since I tend to push catchers up as well. It's kind of like at some point you have to not you have to have some weakness. And I think that saves is there. I think we focus a lot on early season action and fab around saves but i think people either get you know bored they have enough saves so they're less competitive on the wire and as you get past the quarter mark of the season i think there are opportunities to get cheaper saves or or throughout to just kind of speculate and hope that you get lucky um, and hit on a couple guys so that's kind of my general approach to it um it's definitely a strategy piece um you know, if you're drafting with me, you won't see me take a closer. And probably the first hundred picks, it's not a, you know, it's not like I have that as a marker. But it's just probably not going to happen the way I build my teams.
1: Yeah, if you're comfortable in um, spinning fab on closers, there's always saves to be bought. That's always a, a possibility. So, not a problem with that at all. Uh, at breaking Ben underscore T, do you think waiting to grab your first closer potential safe source after pick 200 is a viable strategy? definitely viable it's um i know toby likes to wait he'll elaborate in a second i i prefer to have at least one guy by then maybe two that i feel comfortable with but it is viable if you feel like you can uh navigate the minefield it's viable so what say you toby
0: yeah i mean i think with with it with the dcs you know um with the dcs that's been my strategy throughout generally speaking like i've gotten i think the earliest i've gotten a closure is like around pick 180 something like that and my general sense with the dcs is Number one, you don't need as many clothes you don't need as many saves because you know, like there's just you you don't have the wire, right? So they're just spread out a little bit more um, unevenly or you know, you just just kind of random in pure luck who ends up getting some of these closers after the first ones go. So part of it is that, and and so part of it is also like I'm kind of focused more on winning my league than I am on winning the overall in the DCs, which may sound funny. But my hope is that by focusing on those hitters and by focusing on that starting pitcher early on, I have a really good foundation. And that way, if I luck into getting saves later on, or I'm successful with my late round speculative picks, you know, then that gives me a really good shot maybe to compete. You know, it's always hard to compete in an overall with like thousands of teams, but um, you know, I feel I feel like that's a better route to competing in the overall than trying to draft saves early. Um, and I believe our friend Rob DiPietro. I think that's what ended up happening with him, where he kind of got Presley and he got Barnes, you know, towards the second half of last year, who really got him a ton of ton of saves down the stretch, um, and he had a really solid foundation on offense to begin with. So, yeah, I think he also
1: had Bauer and uh, Darvish, or no, Bauer and someone else. Like he, got he, had, he, yeah, yeah, he hit the nuts pretty good. Like he, he he nailed it. So good for Rob. And speaking of Rob, Rob DiPietro at Deadpool Hitter asks. Kobe, we share a similar quest in our never-ending love for deep-spec closers for late-round DCs. Any thoughts on Dwayne Underwood Jr.? I know we didn't mention him, but for those keeping track at home, I know I saw his name just a second ago on one of these lists, um, and now it's um, skipped. I just saw him. Um, Dwayne Underwood i I've Jr. drafted him in a couple of
0: places. He's uh, on the Chicago with, Cubs. With the Cubs, Yeah. He's on the Cubs. You know, the, the results weren't great, but the skills were super nice last year. 23.9% K-walk, minus 15% swinging strike rate, 39, 37% O-swing. You know, really, really good. He just had a 4.08 BABIP and a 2.18 home run per nine and only 20 innings. Um, I'm pretty sure he's got two really good pitches. Am I right? 26.7% swinging strike rate on his changeup. Sixteen point seven percent. Oh, six, six. only has six pitches. Four seam has a ten point three percent. So yeah, I actually have him on a couple of DCs. You know, the thought process being, you know, Kimbrel if he's good, maybe gets traded after this year or in the middle of the year. Or if he struggles, Underwood looks like a looks like the best relief pitcher in that bullpen who isn't Kimbrel. But I also think he's on the younger side of things. I want to say he's like in his mid twenties. 20, he's 26 right now. So, again, the question is, like, what is the incentive the team has to kind of plug him in there? So, But I do think that that's a, a nice deep league spec, and a guy that I've added a, a few times, you know, in, in my D.C. so far is kind of like a 50th rounder.
1: Yeah, not bad at all. Our buddy Yancey Eaton, I hate to do this to you, Yance. he says, is, is Nick Anderson lit in 2021? Um, he's going to be a very good closer. Is he pick 145 lit? I don't think so. So what about you, Toby?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be a really good pitcher, and he's not going to get you a lot of saves, and everybody who drafted Nick Anderson will be wondering why he doesn't get any more saves. Yep, pretty much. Uh, Rob DiPietro is back, and he has a
1: question for me this time. He says, Bubba, 15 over-under on Wendelkin's save, J.B. Wendelkin. We talked about him as a potential later-round target for the Oakland Athletics. I'm going to go under because I think Diekman takes it long enough. But I do think Wendelkin gets close to the 10 range. I think maybe a little less than 10, but he's going to get up there barring a Deakman injury. If Deakman gets injured over easily, but I'm going to go under 15. But I think similar to like Nick Anderson, Nick Anderson will be better. Don't get me wrong. But I think Wendelkin is still going to be a very, very good fantasy reliever. Just might not get you all the saves. He'll pick 468. I don't hate the spec on him, but just don't expect a, a massive save season, is what I'm thinking there. All right. MLB moving average. Orioles. Hunter Harvey or Caesar Valdez, Toby.
0: Oh man. Um, I I mentioned I'm kind of staying staying away from from that. Um, but um let's let's see. I gotta dive in. I feel like Valdez had some pretty nice numbers last year, if I'm remembering correctly. Are oh, you dive in? I'm going Hunter Harvey. Okay,
1: thirteen
0: point one percent swinging strike rate, seventeen percent K minus walk. Nice house swing. You know, everything looks looks good from my perspective. I wonder why the K rate was so low given the swinging strike. So he might must not be able to get a lot of called strikes. You know, so I think um, uh, you know I'm kind of staying away. So I would just stay away, John. I'm sorry. Um, that would be kind of my general philosophy, just based on what I've seen from the Orioles the past couple of years. And, um, you know, I don't think, I don't think either of them is probably the most talented. What was it? Tanner? Tanner Scott. Tanner, oh, yeah. I go Tanner Scott over Valdez for sure. If, Tanner not, Scott has like one of the best pitches in baseball with that,
1: with his slider. I want to say, I'll look that up. Well, while, while we go to the next one, uh, the next one, he says, Rockies. could it be Robert Stevenson? It could, I don't think it will be.
0: Yeah, I just don't love the fact that his most dominant pitch for Stevenson is his slider, and it's not going to be as as useful. Yeah, so oh it wasn't as good last year in 2019. Tanner Scott had a 26.7% swinging strike rate on his slider, 47.3% O-swing. It wasn't as good um, in 2020, but his fastball uh, swinging strike rate increased by six percent. So I would go Tanner Scott if anybody in that bullpen probably. And Tanner Scott's forcing, er, forcing fastball is 97 miles per hour on average, which is pretty nice. Yeah,
1: I, I like Tanner Scott quite a bit. The more I've dug into him the last few weeks. Uh, Ross at the Shai Bears bears uh, asked, Cleveland Karenchek or Class A. The answer is Wittigren, but what do you say?
0: And the answer is Maton or Matt. There you go. Um, no, I mean really, Class A for me. Just I don't. He doesn't make any sense to me either. He's young. There's no incentives there, and he's also not a strikeout guy. That's the thing. Everybody's obsessed with, you know, he's one of these guys that he's like, people are, I think, feel like are really into his fastball, but you know, what was he 22.3% strikeout rate, you know, in 2019 with the Rangers, I don't even think he has any dominant pitches really. Yeah. Like his slider had a 9.6% swinging strike rate His forcing him at an 11%. You know, I'm going to pass on that. Um, especially coming off of a season long injury, I just don't see why they'd put him in that scenario. So um, I agree. I mean, Whitgren, I probably should be more in on him just given my thoughts because he's going so late in drafts. So I, I agree with Bubba on that one and Maton, if neither one of those guys work out.
1: Uh, he says Detroit Gregory Soto's gig. Um, I, I like your Cisnero call. So I, I don't
0: think it's Soto's gig. You? I don't think so. I really like Soto last year. He just shows what can happen when you bump up two miles per hour and in velocity in a given year. And and you could sell that really early on in the season too. So just something to look for as we kind of enter the seasons this year. But the walk rate is too high. I'd have to check in on his splits, but he's the only lefty that I can think of that's in that bullpen as well. And so I just don't see – I didn't feel like they wanted him to be there. He blew one save, I think, and they'd never let him see that, the C-saves again. So I would say no. Um, The last question he has
1: here, what will Jordan Romano's role be Now with Yates in town, I'd still take shots on him, but I'm not as excited. I still think – I'm not completely sold on Yates just yet. I'm still slightly concerned there, but uh, what's your thoughts?
0: Yeah, middle reliever or part of the trade package with Vlad Jr. to get some pitching.
1: (laughs) Uh, Mike Carter at MDRC0508. Sort through the St. Louis bullpen. We did that a second ago, so yep. scroll on back a little ways. But uh, I think Reyes has spec obligations, and uh, Toby believes in Mr.
0: Hicks. So. I don't know why I believe in Hicks, honestly, because I've always been a naysayer on him in previous seasons. But I thought. I remember last year, I think, or the year before he was hurt, I thought I was in on
1: Hicks. You're like, no, no.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he changed it a little bit because he, his slider, I think, got a lot better. So his he's, a, he's electric when he's, when he's healthy. He is. And, and also, I think there are certain situations that I feel like are just like create gold. And one of them is the Cardinals pitchers. It just seems like whoever they have is like good enough. It's like Adam Wainwright. You know, he sucks, but he's good somehow. And I think part of it is the ballpark. I think it's similar to the A's. It's like people go there and all of a sudden their ERA drops like a point. So I just think it's a really good situation to be in. Or I'm just justifying Poor draft capital usage on Jordan Hicks at pick two hundred and
1: fifty. And then our last question, I guess, a good question to end on. At Torres takes asks, how many closers do you aim to have in your starting lineup in a given week in FBC Roto format? Do you prefer to have a third closer or or in there or a seventh starter? I think it's a very fun question. I'll get your takes first, and I'll give my thoughts as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it all, it just depends on who I got on my team. I mean, I think in an ideal world, I have six starting pitchers and three relief pitchers who are getting saves, but it also depends on matchups and streaming options. So it's kind of like, I mean, in an ideal scenario, right, you have at least two guys out of your six starters who have two start weeks, and then you've got your three relief pitchers generating saves for you. More often than not, though, right, you've got like Maybe you're two solid closers or you're two guys who are getting your saves. And then you've got six starters and then you're kind of rotating, you know, throughout the year between, you know, that, um, you know, that, that, that uh, seventh starter and that third reliever, depending on who's on your team at that given time and what the matchups are that week. You know, which is why, especially given like the context of baseball, like those middle relievers can be really effective. I don't recommend drafting them you know, but I recommend scouring the wire and paying attention to middle relief pitchers and relief pitchers who have really good ratios and really good strikeouts just to be able to plug in there um, when you need them. But I think in, in like an NFBC overall competition, you can't just start six starting pitchers and compete in strikeouts. And you also can't start just two relief pitchers, generally speaking, you know, and, and compete in the overall. So you really do need to have that kind of like one blended role that kind of switches off depending on matchups between starting pitcher and relief pitcher. And oftentimes, you know, it won't be as difficult of a decision because, you know, you got a guy who's a closer at that moment in time, and then the regular closer comes back from injury, and then that guy's no longer as useful to you. So just kind of keeping it open and moving around. Sometimes you have four relief pitchers in there because when you have access to the saves, you want to bank them when you can, because you can always try to make up the innings you know at a later date. So that's what I'll say.
1: No, I'm with you. They're like I don't have a set number but I want to get the clip, the saves when I can. I think that's a tremendous point. It's like if you got three guys that are closing you better have seven really good pitchers to put out there cuz otherwise you're waste you it's, you know how it goes. You leave that one guy one of the three on the bench. He has four saves that week or something. And that's going to just crush you. So if, if if he's getting saves barring like four games in Coors or something and it's not even that bad for a closer compared to a starter, obviously, then it's pretty much I want my closers in there for the most part. The other thing is, is I think it's a, a general question. I think just relievers in general, I don't mind having it in there. I know we talked about it. As the season gets later, I remember last year, and that was the year before, I had like um, Font from Toronto. He was opening twice a week. He'd open. I would put him in my lineup. He'd be good for like four to five innings. His ratios would be good. Give me some strikeouts. And we'd work that direction because, you know, I got them for a buck on fab. So you'll see situations like that as the season goes on that sometimes, you know, due to injuries and stuff, relievers that are pitching the seventh and eighth inning might be better options than some starters. So it's not the uh, the end-all, be-all. So I, I don't think there's a, a set number you need to have. I think it's just more your roster construction. And I prefer to get as many saves as possible. Now, later in the year, if you think you have saves locked up and you want to get your ratios and your strikeouts, then, yeah, league saves on the bench, but that's a whole nother conversation.
0: And one thing I'd recommend in like daily leagues is having a bunch of like high um, yes, middle relievers, you know, like middle relievers, or even, you know, just really good relievers, even if they're just going one yep. inning at a time, yep. you know, even if you have a pitch limit, because if you think about it, you know, a starting pitcher gets what a win every Fifth I don't know, like, or like 13 <laughs> innings or something like that, 15 innings, something like that. You know so you're not really losing out on wins that much as long as the guy like lucks into a, a couple of them throughout the course of the season you're helping your ratios generally you're helping your k per nine and your k's overall so that's one strategy you know outside of this question that i would i would recommend employing for folks who are in you know um in daily leagues especially if you have deeper benches it's a little bit harder when you have shallow benches but yeah in
1: deeper leagues i would prefer getting like two or three stud pitchers and then almost streaming your last couple starters and getting a bunch of relievers. That's a, a so you're always rotating uh, relievers
0: in your lineup throughout the, the week. So I like that quite totally. a bit. I started off my 12 team league last year that that I won at my home league 12 team league um, with three starting pitchers in a row. Um, and then yeah, because you know, yeah,
1: you, you know, you lock up those ratios and then you don't have to worry about putting like a, a random fifth starter out there to mess them all up. You can put decent relievers in there to keep them kind of at bay. So, yeah, I like that quite a bit. All right. That'll wrap us up this week. Relief pitchers, so much fun. Any final thoughts, Toby?
0: No, I mean, I think, uh, relief pitchers are fun. I really enjoy relief pitchers. I think it's a really big opportunity like, you know, to to really mine for those guys that can take that next step and not just during the off season, you know, I think it's really critical, to be monitoring those leaderboards and paying attention not just who gets saves or you know who's 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 pitching the eighth is really important too. But like, look for those guys that jump out. Remember, Nick Anderson, you know, in 2019 wasn't on the radar heading into the season, and then he was the best reliever in baseball for two consecutive years, right? And that happens every single year. Devin Williams this year. Be monitoring that, and don't be afraid to take speculative ads on guys like that especially if you see a pathway to save so i really like really pitching grinding Like i love grinding for relievers and um you know and and um yeah probably well, strange in that way
1: well it's definitely a way to find an edge that's for sure because someone's going to run away with something that will surprise you as the season goes on so it's definitely something worth grinding for better than grinding for that uh fourth outfielder that might catch a, a job or something <laughs> you can definitely grind for the reliever so that makes a lot of sense but uh yeah it'll be fun when we recap this in uh february or march and see we'll more see, more moves yeah
0: we are we should have like a chart yeah. it says who bubba thought who toby thought who ended up being it yeah how we many did we actually right yeah.
1: Yes. yes, yeah. We could have wait. We might have wasted two hours on this. No, yeah. but um, we'll see. But everybody, check out Toby on Twitter at DFS Golf Gods. I'm on Twitter at BD Intric. We'll be back with you guys next week. At, but for at now, D- at DFS
0: Golf Gods. Oh, sorry,
1: at BD Intric. That's the guy I do golf with. That's how. It's uh, late. It's late. You,
0: you can also find me at DFS Golf Gods for yes. sure.
1: Yes, he's there. Yeah. that's Jesse. Ah. This is Toby at Debat Flip Crazy. I am just. Uh, I'm losing it. I'm sorry. They're all oh, blending oh, together. Having an infant, having an infant. Yes, but it's Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode sixty-eight, and we are relief pitchers are in the books. We'll catch you guys Thanks later. Thanks for listening.
0: That is going to wrap us up for episode one sixty-four of the Bat Flip Crazy podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate it. Uh, that was a long one, but always really fun to dive into relief pitching. Uh, preview. I mean, I just think relief pitcher is a huge area of, um, of potential uh, value, you know, to generate on your fantasy team. And so paying attention to these bullpen situations, tracking those high-skilled relievers who maybe don't have a role right now but could find themselves in one, and then during the season, really tracking those leaderboards really closely to identify those guys who, um, for one reason or another, are having a breakout season. So a lot of fun discussing that. Um, as always, I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, hope everybody's drafting is going well, all of your research, getting ready for the drafts. I mean, it's coming quick. It's going to be here before we know it. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Take care and be kind to one another.